Welcome to the teaching ministry at Carthus Creek Community Church. Thanks, Beth. Well, good morning, C4. It's great to see everyone here on just a great, great weekend. And to those who will be watching online this week, a warm welcome to you as well. Two Saturdays ago, Jen and I were at a fundraising gala. We got to go as a mission that we support down in the Hamilton area. And uh, they had one of those, you know, silent auctions that, that are at golf tournaments and gala events and all that kind of stuff. And, and I love walking around looking at all of the stuff that you can bid on. And I don't know if you've, if you've done that and you've noticed it, but there's tons of sports memorabilia at these things. You know, there's, there's all of these pictures and hockey sticks and, and, and all kinds of things, uh, you know, celebrating great goals, great saves, winning shots, green jackets, checkered flags. And, you know, and the list just goes on and on and on. And, of course, I'm looking at all of this stuff. I'm, I'm kind of checking it all out. And, you know, Jen, Jen told me quietly when we got back to our table, you know, that uh, I'm not allowed to bid on any of that stuff. Actually, I think the term was, you can't bid on any of that because you've got enough of that kind of junk at home. Well, well, I don't have hockey sticks and I don't have, you know, like paintings and, and, and I don't have the plaques and all that kind of stuff. But I know, I know what she was talking about. She was talking about my private collection, the Dave Adams private collection of sports memorabilia that's out there. I mean, t-shirts that I can't fit into anymore, but they commemorate a time, an era, in fact, when, when things were much different than they are now. I, I have t-shirts. I have, uh, I have bibs from when I used to run. You know, I, I've, got, I've got soccer shoes that no one other than me enjoys the smell of. I've, I've got stuff. I've got my own private collection. I, I think we all have uh, fond memories of past accomplishments, don't we? You know, whether it be sports or academics or work or family or the list goes on, you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. And some of us even have the memorabilia to go along with it. You know, as I was thinking about this this week and looking to the passage that we're going to be into today, I thought, you know, churches, churches have memories too. Churches' memories are, are often talked about as um, the good old days, or another great one is, oh, the ministry under pastor so-and-so. And what are people referring to then is times, fond memories in the past when things were vibrant and they were growing and it was exciting and stuff was happening. Some churches, churches that I've been in, even have the memorabilia to go along with it. They have those nice little fake gold plaques, because no one wants to spend on real gold, so we just use brass, right? So, so we've got those plaques that are in it, and, and then, then there's, there's wings of the church, or there's rooms of the church that are actually named after people. People's names are actually on the room. Or one of the churches that I pastored in, as I walked to my office, there, w- there was this row of pictures all the way along of all of the pastors who had gone before me. The, 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 the students in the church used to call it the wall of shame, and my mug was, it's right on there. I believe it's on there today. I'm now on the wall of shame. Memories and memorabilia can be both bad, but they can also be good. Because they either act as an anchor or they can act as a catapult. They either hold us back or they launch us forward. We become slaves to the past by trying to relive it or we allow the past to guide us as we live in the present and as we look towards a bright and optimistic future. As we move into the second last message of this great book of Romans, 
The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about an effective, vibrant ministry. How a ministry continues to move forward after a glorious past. And this morning I want to focus on three important facets of an expanding and an enduring ministry from Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through to 33. This is a section of scripture that we're going to be covering this morning. So if you have a Bible, open your Bible. Or um, as we've been saying lately, if you want to navigate in your electronic Bible. Or if you want to just watch on the screens. uh, All of the verses are going to come up here. But I want us to seek to understand this morning what the scripture has to say to us about an expanding and an enduring ministry here at C4. By looking at what Paul says to the church at Rome. And so I, I want to focus in on three important facets of, a, of an enduring and an inspiring and an ever-growing ministry. The first important facet that I see in Romans chapter 15 is, the, is proclamation. Proclamation is in, in, in extremely important and it's a vital part of any particular ministry. Paul the theologian, Paul the pastor... Paul the Apostle was always at his heart and at his core an evangelist and a church planter. That's what he always wanted to do. His heartbeat was for those who had never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's evident in this particular section of Scripture. Pastor Paul opens this section by first encouraging the believers in Rome as he writes to them. Verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Paul is about to make a really big ask of the church at Rome. Remember, it's a church that he's never been to. He's only heard about them, and he has some friends who go to that church, but he's never actually visited them, and so he's writing them this letter. Paul has taken 15 and a half chapters, 95% of the letter that he's written to them, to explain the good news of the gospel of Jesus and the implications of that to everyday life. And Paul is now wrapping up his letter, and and he wants to do, he wants to invite them to partner with him in ministry. He's about to make this huge ask of the church. But he starts in verse 14 by saying, Look, I've broken the gospel down into its basic forms. I've talked to you about the entire gospel and the implications, but I I don't want you to think that I I don't think that you get it. I understand that that you get it. And and so he, he says three things to them just in this verse. He says, look, I understand that you're full of goodness. What Paul means there is that you're overflowing with moral and ethical purity. This includes kindness and thoughtfulness towards one another. It includes charity towards one another. He also says that I see that you're filled with knowledge, which means to be completely informed and to be completely aware, to have a good command of Christian truth and Christian teaching and Christian doctrine. And he also says I see that you're competent to instruct Competent comes from the Greek word dynamos, which is the word for power. We get our word power from that. And he says, look, I I know about you. Even though I haven't been there, I know about you. You you are competent. You have the power to instruct one another in the things of God. What Paul is doing here is he's describing what a mature Christ follower looks like. And because they're mature, they'll understand what he's about to outline for them. They'll understand fully his motivation behind what he's about to ask them to engage in. Paul's overt encouragement to the church at Rome is so that they'll understand his letter is not meant to say that they're immature, 
but that he fully believes in them, and he believes in them to such an extent that he's about to ask them to partner with him in a ministry adventure. Verses 15 and 16. Yet I have written you quite boldly in some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In these verses, Paul speaks of his ministry of proclamation. He said, look, this is what I do. This is my heartbeat. This is what an effective ministry looks like. An effective ministry has a huge element of proclamation, proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's really interesting. The Greek language allows for a number of different words that can be used for the word minister or ministry. And Paul very carefully chooses a word that has a particular nuance about it. He uses and chooses the, the word that refers to the role or the function of a priest. Paul sees his ministry of proclamation to the Gentiles, to those who have never heard, as an offering to God. He sees his itinerant, evangelistic, church-planting ministry as a sacred activity equal to that of the high priest making offering sacrifices in the Holy of Holies. Paul says this ministry of proclamation that I'm engaged in, this ministry of telling people the good news of Jesus, it is a priestly function. I see it as a sacred act. I see it as an offering, a sweet-smelling offering to God. That's why I do what I do. For Paul, the ministry of proclamation is an essential ingredient of any ministry, especially an effective and growing ministry. It's so vitally, vitally important. Paul says, look, if you can, if you can even imagine the Old Testament, the Old Testament uh, law without the sacrificial system, if you take the sacrificial system out, then, you, then it really isn't the Old Testament law anymore. And Paul is saying, if you're engaged in Christian ministry and you take the proclamation of the good news of Jesus, it's not Christian ministry anymore. Paul says, first and foremost, I'm engaged in the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ Verses 17 to 19. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey, what God, by, oh, sorry, to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Oshawa, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. You know, I tried all week. I still can't pronounce that sucker. I, I, I said to my wife just before I come up, how do you say this? And she's like, I don't know. Put, a, put an E instead of the Y. Oh, thanks for your help, honey. Okay. <clears throat> so anyways, <laughs> so in these verses, in these verses, we see Paul's motivation in his ministry. Why is Paul involved and engaged in this proclamational uh, ministry? Well, it's all about the glory of God. Paul says, look, I don't want you to miss this at all. I go around and I preach and teach and I'm involved in this itinerant ministry and I'm planting churches all over the place and I'm a popular guy and I'm doing the conference circuit and I'm, and, and I'm appearing at all these things. But why do I do all of this? Paul says, please don't miss it. The mighty preaching, the miracles, the power-filled life are all attributable to the work of God in Paul's life and all of the glory, all of the glory goes to God for what Paul has accomplished. From Jerusalem right through to modern-day Albania, which is where that place is. Paul has proclaimed the message of Jesus to not build an empire, but to build and to further God's kingdom. 
And God's kingdom is all about bringing God the glory. That's what proclamation is essentially all about. Sharing the good news of Jesus with those who have never heard so that the kingdom of God moves forward and brings God all of the glory. I don't know if you noticed or not, but, but just when we started out on the whole um, strategic planning process, Pastor John and the elders changed something in our mission statement. Our mission statement is supposed to endure forever. Our mission statement is why we even exist as a church. And for years around here, the mission statement used to be to enable people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But they added a very simple little phrase at the front of it, and it really makes all the difference. Because now it says, to glorify God by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted. See, it's all for God's glory. Everything that we do is for God's glory. And we must never forget, and we as a church are involved in the proclamational ministry in this area, in this region. Why? So that we can build a bigger church? No, we're doing it for the glory of God. We're enabling people of all ages to come to know Jesus and to grow up in Jesus, all for God's glory, always for the glory of God. Well, the second important facet of ministry that I see in this passage is administration, The spiritual dimensions of Paul's ministry are really easy to identify, but it's really important to see that Paul had a strategy and a plan behind everything that he did. You see, Paul wasn't just wandering around the Middle East going, ah, I wonder what's going to happen today. We're just kind of, I don't know which way we're going to go. We're just going to wander, wander the whole Middle East. Paul did not do that. Paul was a planner. He was strategic in absolutely everything that he did. Now, this is particularly encouraging for us because of the tensions in many churches throughout the world, and particularly churches just like ours. It has been my experience that people tend to gravitate to either end of a spectrum. On the one end, we have those who see the church only as an organism, a living body, so we should just go with the flow, see what happens, see what the Spirit leads, and and just no planning, nothing, we just, hey, let's just see what happens. On the other end of the spectrum are those who see the church solely as an organization. These people say that we need to treat the church like a business where all problems and issues can be solved through managerial systems. But the reality is this, friends. The church is both. The church is an organism and it is an organization. We need both. We need a healthy balance of organism and organization. And Paul, I believe, understood this very, very well. Look at verses 20 through 22. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Here we see Paul talking about his philosophy of ministry, his strategy. Paul said, look, I go to those who have never heard. I go to the places that nobody else wants to go to. I'm a pioneer. I'm a missionary. I'm an apostle. I don't build on what somebody else has already started. Let them carry that on. They do their thing. But here's my thing. I'm a trailblazer. That's what I do, Paul says. And Paul says that it's because of this strategy and because of his own faithfulness to this strategy that he's never gone to Rome. Paul didn't plant the church in Rome. Somebody else planted that church and has built it up. And Paul said, because I've got to be faithful to my strategy, I haven't haven't been able to go to you yet because I don't build on what somebody else has already started. I'm a trailblazer. I'm a missionary. I'm a pioneer. So that's what I do. 
So Rome just hasn't fit Paul's strategy or his strategic approach. Now Paul now makes a shift and now starts his ministry pitch to the church at Rome. He has set his sights on some new ventures and he wants to cast his vision to the church at Rome and invite them to partner with him. Verse 23, Paul continues, but now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. Paul starts by stating where things are at right now. What is the current reality according to Paul and his strategy? Paul has almost finished three ministry tips, trips at this particular time. He's put in 20 years of his ministry life when he's writing this, evangelizing and planting churches in the eastern part of the Roman Empire, and he's been incredibly successful. But as a pioneer, as a trailblazing missionary, there's no new ground left to cover. Paul is saying, I've gone all over the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And there are churches and fellowships all over. And I have people who are willing to pastor those churches and to build them up. But when it comes to, when it comes to new frontiers, there aren't any new frontiers in this region. And so I, I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to hang out here anymore. Verses 23 and 24, he says, And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Paul announces his brand new vision. Paul has his sights set on Spain and beyond. Paul's strategy is to proclaim the gospel where it has never been heard, and the lands west of Rome is where he set his new sights. I, I love what Pastor Chuck Swindoll says about this, just in commenting on this particular verse. He says, Paul doesn't dream ever on a small scale. The land mass that he plans to evangelize exceeds the territory covered in his first three missionary journeys. Think about it for a second. Paul's been doing this thing for 20 years. Paul is not a young guy anymore. And he has a new vision from God. He said, look, I'm done in the eastern part of the region. I'm looking to Spain and beyond. And it's even a bigger landmass than what I've already attempted. But you know what? I'm so up for this. I really want to do this. Paul isn't anchored to the past. He's being catapulted forward by his, uh, by his past accomplishments to even greater adventures, all for the glory of God. Like I said, remember that Paul... He isn't a spring chicken anymore. He's been doing this for 20 plus years. Like people around Paul could be saying, you know, Paul, you know what? You should, you should be really thinking about taking it easy. Like you, you, should be, you should be thinking about polishing off your golf clubs. You know, maybe you should be like going into semi-retirement or something because you've been really successful in ministry and you should just do the circuit in, in the eastern part of the region. Just go visit all the churches and just, you know, glad hand a little bit and just tell all the people, you know, you love them and hang out with them. Paul says, no, other people can do that. I am a pioneer. I'm a trailblazer. I'm looking at a new frontier and a whole new region. I have a new vision from God. Now, in case, in case we want to think that, you know, Paul thought this through. So, so think about this for a second. Paul is about to take himself out of the civilized part of the Roman Empire and go into the uncivilized part. You see, Spain and beyond is where the barbarians lived. I mean, I mean Rome had kind of gone out there and had a presence there, but, but it was hostile territory. 
Does Paul really know what he's, what he's getting himself into? Because remember what his experience was like in the civilized part of Rome. Let me remind you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. This is what's happened in the safe area. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have, and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. And Paul wants to give up all of that and go where the barbarians live. 20 years into ministry and an aging man. Paul wraps up this section of Romans chapter 15 by outlining for the church of Rome what his immediate plans are, verses 25 through 29. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I'll come in the full measure of the blessings of Christ. Again, we get uh, you know, an inside look into Paul's planning and strategic heart. Look, Paul says, look, I'm going to be really intentional about what's going to happen. He says, first of all, I'm going to complete the work in Corinth. Remember, he's writing the book of Romans while he's in Corinth. And he said, look, I need to wrap things up in Corinth. And then after I wrap things up in Corinth, here's what my next plan is. I'm going to go and deliver a love gift that I've been collecting to the church at Jerusalem. See, Paul's been out on his last missionary journey visiting all the churches um, that he established and, and that he founded. And all the time when he's around, he's been saying to them, look, the, the mother church, the Jerusalem church, is really hurting right now. And a lot, they're under a lot of persecution. They're under a lot of pressure. And there's a lot of poor people there. So how about you dig deep into your wallets and how about you give me some money? Because after all, they are the mother church. The gospel has come out from them and has reached you. And out of the gratefulness of your heart, which is always the motivation for giving, always the motivation for giving. Why don't you give back? So Paul says, I'm going to deliver that offering back to them. And then he says, I'm going to make some plans for Spain. I want to come see you. And and I'm going to see you on my way through to Spain. And Paul says, I'm going to visit you and I'm going to hang out with you a little while. Good planning is absolutely necessary in the church. The gifts of administration and leadership have been given by the Holy Spirit for use in the church of Jesus today because we are both an organism and an organization. Well, the third important facet of ministry that I see from this section of Scripture is intercession. In verses 30 to 33, Paul, the great man of God, the great pastor, the great evangelist, the great missionary statesman, shares his great need for the church at Rome to pray actually for him. Verse 30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Paul starts off by saying, I urge you, I appeal to you, I'm begging you, I'm imploring you. There's a sense of urgency and desperation in Paul's invitation for the church to pray for him. 
If they can't physically join him, if they can't be with him on his actual ministry team, then they can join him spiritually by struggling along with him in prayer. This is what the ministry of intercession is all about. Struggling, travailing, wrestling in prayer, coming before the triune God, which you notice Paul mentions in this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, on behalf of others who are laboring for the sake of the gospel. And quite frankly, it's one of the things that I'm most excited about with Beth coming on board is that she's going to give us leadership in this area, concentrated, specific, intentional leadership because we have so much to learn as individuals and as a church, not just with the simple prayer request, oh, would you pray for me? Oh, yes. Paul didn't have that kind of thing in mind. Paul had in mind a struggling, a travailing with him in prayer. He uses athletic imagery in verse 30, when he says, I urge you to struggle with me, it's, it's that of an athlete who is straining and struggling to finish the race. And Paul says, I'm doing it physically, and you can't be with me, but would you join me in prayer? Would you pray for me along this line? Paul specifically asks for a couple of things in verses 31 and 32. Pray that I might be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. And that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company be refreshed. Paul is asking for protection. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he's faced opposition before from the religious right, both inside the church and outside of the church. He's asking that the church in Jerusalem will accept the gift from the Gent- from the Gentile churches, and that they'll actually be pleased with it. You see, the Jews still had a a lot of struggles with their own prejudices. And they knew that this gift that Paul was bringing is coming from the Gentile churches. And there were some who would say, "Mm, we don't kind of associate with Gentiles. And Paul's saying, please pray that they'll accept the gift. And they'll understand the heartbeat behind it. Paul asks for prayer for his planned trip to Rome. Paul asks for a good time of fellowship when he finally meets the church in Rome in person for the first time. Well, verse 33 finishes off this great section of Scripture with Paul actually praying a prayer of blessing over the church at Rome. Verse 33, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So what do we learn from this section of Scripture? And what principles can we take from it? For us today, for C4 What can I think about? What can you think about? What do we learn from what Paul has outlined for us in this great passage in Romans 15? Let me just really super quick just offer four for you to start start your thinking. First one is this. Kingdom achievements are accomplished through partnerships. Kingdom achievements are accomplished through partnerships. I don't know if you know this or not, but I've done a lot of study on this. Did you know that the Lone Ranger was not a Christian? He wasn't. He was not a Christian. You can't be a Christian and be the Lone Ranger. Right? Because we desperately need each other. Woven throughout this whole passage of Scripture, Paul emphasizes the idea of partnerships. Look, no one person has all of the gifts, all of the abilities, all of the resources. No one person can do it all in Christian ministry. We desperately need each other. Paul is talking about the fact that his ministry needs to be backed by people who are going to support him financially and people who are going to support him in prayer. The second thing that I see coming out of this, second principle that I think you should chew on for a bit, is that kingdom achievements always encounter hindrances. You know, 
Paul encountered all kinds of hindrances. We, we know, actually, if we go a little bit further and we read in the book of Acts, and, and, and if you want to read kind of where this leaves off, uh, read Acts chapter 21 through to 28. We, we know what happens after this, and Paul encounters all kinds of hindrances, and he has encountered all kinds of hindrances in, in his ministry. Everything that is, that is ventured for God, any kind of trailblazing ministry, any new vision that God gives to a church or to a group of people or to an individual, it always encounters hindrances. That's why we desperately need partnerships. Because when we're together, we can overcome things much better. We need hope, we need enthusiasm, and we need prayer if we're going to overcome the hindrances that we have to ministry. I love what Paul says elsewhere in 1 Thessalonians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 11, where he says, you know, God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, clear a path, clear a way. Okay, we need to pray that way. The, the third principle that I see here that I would like you to think about and chew on is this. Kingdom initiatives must always be for God's glory. Everything that we do must be for God's glory. We must do all of the stuff that we do. We here at C4 and in our own individual lives, whatever it is that you're plugged into, whatever ministry specific you're doing, whether it's in in the parking lot or with C4 kids or or with our student ministries on worship, uh, in small groups, it doesn't matter. Whatever the ministry that you're doing here, we must do it because we desperately love Jesus We love other people, and everything is dedicated to the glory of God. At the end of the day, that's really what counts. Does it bring glory to God? We need to be people who are obsessed with glorifying God in everything that we do in our lives. The final principle that I see coming out of this particular passage is this. The kingdom outcomes are not always as we expected. Again, if you were to read Acts chapter 21 through 28, you'll find that right after Paul writes this, he, he is arrested. When he goes to Jerusalem, the Jerusalem believers do accept with joy the gift that he brings. So answer to prayer there. Paul said, pray for my protection against the Judaizers. They were praying for that protection, but things didn't go the way he expected. Uh, he was arrested, and eventually Paul does make it to Rome, but he makes it to Rome under arrest. In fact, the government pays for his ticket to, to Rome. Paul was a Roman citizen, and things were not going well for him in in Judea. And so Paul eventually, because these false charges have been trumped up against him, and and he's facing death, he says, look, I'm a Roman citizen. I have a Roman passport. I'm going to make my appeal to Caesar. Caesar, you've got to send me to Rome. And so he makes it to Rome. Does he ever make it to Spain? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. Tradition in the church is that he does make it to Spain, but we can't say that with complete certainty. So, so Paul does make it to Rome. The gospel is for, furthered. When he goes to Rome, he has a whole new, um, a, a new frontier. He's chained to a Roman guard, and he's imprisoned. And Paul now is evangelizing the household of Caesar. It's a new frontier. It's not the one that he expected when he laid out his missionary plans and when he, when he came up with his new vision and his new strategic plan. But it's still because it is dedicated to God and for God's glory and honor, God led through the thing And God was honored and glorified in it. And people came to know Jesus. So for us here at C4, we we have a great vision. A regional church of 10,000 people meeting the physical, emotional, spiritual needs of people in Jesus' name. And what exactly is it going to look like in three years' time? I don't know. We're planning certain ways and we're doing certain things. And as you've heard through these vision bites, we are being very intentional and very strategic. But the outcome is up to God. 
and we may really be surprised. It might not look like anything any of us have ever thought about or even dreamt about. But if we're going to do this thing and we're going to dedicate it to the glory of God, and if it is for God's glory, isn't that what we should be celebrating together? Isn't that really, at the end of the day, what counts? Isn't it God's glory that we want to see accomplished? We want to see men and women come to know Jesus Christ and grow up in their faith. And God has given us a vision for 10,000 of them in this region. And we want to see that happen. And whatever it looks like, whether it's in this auditorium and another auditorium or several auditoriums or online or whatever, who cares, really? Really, who cares at the end of the day? 10,000 people in love with Jesus People who weren't saved and who are now saved and are growing up in their faith. Isn't that what we really want to do? I I pray that this this passage is an encouragement to you today. Because we're going to find ourselves in one of two places as we think about C4's history. Whether you've been here 20 years or whether you've been here just a month or two. And as you think about the glorious past, and it is a great past of C4, it'll either act as an anchor or as a catapult. The choice is ours, though. The choice is ours. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this passage of Scripture, and uh, I pray, God, that you would continue to speak to your people. Lord, I pray for myself and for my friends who are here. May you continue to move us forward, not forgetting the past, not negating the past, but rejoicing in the past. But take us on to new heights with you, God. Take us on to new things with you, where people come to know Jesus. And so to that end, God, um, use us for your honor and glory and continue to speak to us in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more teaching, info, or to give financially, please visit us at our website, crotherscreek.ca.